Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Good morning. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, MIP is COVID free. Free meaning you don't need a subscription to MIP every day now for a limited time. While we endure this pandemic, we want to make it available to everyone. So wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, MIP is COVID free and available to you and everyone without a subscription. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, pleasure to have here with us now uh, the author of a new book this year, The NRA, The Unauthorized History. And that very title suggests he didn't get their permission. Uh, so I'm sure, we're, <laughs> I'm sure we're in store for some frankness and candor, and we need that. No pun intended. He is Frank. Frank Smith joins us now, you spell your last name with a Y, Frank. Am I pronouncing it the right way? It's Smythe, actually. Oh, it's Smythe. Yeah. I'm sorry. Frank Smythe, then. Okay. I wondered about that because it was spelled differently. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, man, let me ask you uh, how you are, you and your loved ones are, are faring in this uh, pandemic. 
I'm fine. I'm uh, and, and my you know family members are all fine. But thank you for asking. I hope yours are as well. Mark. Yeah, yeah. We so far so good. You know, I'm in the epicenter here in New York, so it's uh, it's a little scary up here. But we're we're holding on. You know, we're doing sure, the best we sure. can. Um, speaking of scary though, um, what drew my attention to you immediately at this time, um is that uh, there's been a spike in gun sales uh, since the coronavirus hit. What, what's that about? Well, you know, the gun movement is based on fear. And the National Rifle Association has helped put out narratives to sustain and promote this fear. And the fear is that there are times when the government will not be able to protect you. And before this crisis, the Rodney King riots was the best example they could come up with of that kind of situation. Now with COVID-19, the NRA has the opportunity to say, see, I told you so. Weapons are necessary for your own survival. You may have to fight criminals. You may have to fight mobs or, or defend yourself against social unrest if things deteriorate. And if there were some kind of socialist, quote unquote, takeover, you might have to fight the government as well. Mm. So for them, this is uh, as the New York Times reported today. This is a this is a win on some level for them. So now, uh, are are they actually actively promoting that point of view during this crisis? Not necessarily during the crisis, but this is what they've been promoting for the past forty three years: uh-huh. that weapons are essential. That individuals have a right to defend themselves and their families in their home. And I'm also a gun owner, so I subscribe to that. But beyond that, that individuals collectively should be armed in order to defend their collective rights, their Second Amendment rights, and ultimately, in their eyes, the republic from some kind of socialist or other kind, some kind of tyrannical take, takeover, which they really can't define, but is certainly something they seem to see could could happen any uh, almost at any time. But I noticed you mentioned the Times piece. I noticed though they are um, um, uh, fighting to keep gun shops open. They've been kind of vocal about that, haven't they? Right, and that's but that's their way, and that's for them. That's an important issue by challenging both New York and California uh, to keep gun stores open, they are they are sending a message to their base that we have your back, that we are the NRA, we're defending your gun rights. Mm-hmm. So as not to lose members and supporters to other smaller organizations, namely Gun Owners of America, which is even more absolutist, quote-unquote, than the NRA is uh, and tries to outflank the NRA from the right. So for the really? NRA... These, yeah, these lawsuits are very important to be able to say we're the ones leading the effort to defend gun rights in America. Well, you just enlightened me. I didn't know that. What's the difference in size? Is is uh, the Gun Owners of America as sizable oh, an organization? No, no, no. It's maybe, I think, one-tenth at best. Okay. Right? Or, I'm not, actually, I, no, that may not be correct. It may be, it has, it has a, it may be larger than that, a uh, quarter. I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but it's. It's it's much smaller than the NRA itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, being that size, why would the the NRA feel threatened by them? Are they just small? But also, I know a lot of these organizations are small, but they're very loud. Yeah, they're they're loud, and uh, gun owners of America will go to uh, their supporters will go to NRA conventions 
with T-shirts that say NRA, negotiating rights away. <laughs> you know, in the liberal community, there's a feeling that, oh, well, the, you know, this people could join the NRA who disagree with it, and then they could change the organization from within. Mm -hmm. The NRA board of directors has been compared by one of their own board of directors to a Politburo, right? A communist Soviet era uh, institution where uh, everything is controlled and no one, no one gets elected or rarely does anyone get elected unless they're supported by the nominating committee and then embraced by the nominating committee once they're on the board. Mm -hmm. So the notion, but the NRA constantly faces challenges from organizations and entities further to the right of them which is also an indication of how of how extreme leaning at least the american gun movement at least some elements certainly are yeah yeah absolutely extreme this seems to me though to be somewhat of a of a of a paradox or i guess either a bipolarism or schizophrenia schizophrenia um to say that we need guns for the NRA to say, and for their uh, followers and members and believers um, to say, we need more guns because the government can't protect us. To me, it, it contradicts the other thing that they often say is that we need to protect ourselves from the government. That those two don't go together for me, Frank. Uh, how? Isn't isn't that a bit self-contradictory? On the one hand, we need guns to protect ourselves from the government. On the other hand, we need guns because the government won't protect us. That's that's a little off to me. I think for them, they don't see any contradiction whatsoever because having a, a gun in your hand, having ammunition, having the ability to use it, being able to defend yourself, they feel that they can defend themselves against any kind of criminal threat that could come, even a mob threat. At the same time, to be able to defend yourself against the government, should the government end up turning against uh, what, they, what they consider to be the values of the republic or the constitution, uh -huh, right? And uh -huh. this is for them. This is this is not a, an overly intellectual argument. It's very it's very visceral and and palpable. As long as I can hold my gun in my hand, I know I can defend myself against whatever comes. I don't think. It's that it's much more complicated than that. The NRA has put out the notion of the slippery slope. And last summer, if you recall, President Trump himself reversed himself on background checks, saying he was in favor of them after the El Paso and Dayton shootings, and then saying he had changed his mind after a single phone call or maybe two phone calls with Wayne LaPierre. And then he told reporters in the Oval Office, they call it the slippery slope. And then everything gets taken away. Mm. What the NRA means by this, and this is him parroting exactly LaPierre's point on from the NRA on this, what the NRA means by this is even the most benign, seemingly benign form of gun control, like background checks, to be effective would, of course, require gun registration, something they don't make out of that context. But background checks would require gun registration and gun registration in their eyes, invariably, as LaPierre wrote in 2015, would lead to gun confiscation. And then the gun confiscation, the general disarmament, would open the door to tyranny, if not outright genocide. Mm -hmm. And so this is a – there's no basis in history for this. This is a case of first impression. And also, Mark, to support their gun rights agenda, the NRA has, not, has, has done three things. They've buried their own history. 
they've also rewritten the history of Reconstruction after the Civil War, and they've attempted to rewrite the history of the Holocaust, all to claim that gun rights are essential uh, in today's world. Mm. And they have a lot. They have a lot to hide. Yeah. Well, I, I was actually about to say, um, why would they feel unprotected as long as there's a Trump administration um, in the White House? But then I guess their conspiracy theory to that is he could be deep sixed by the deep state any moment. Yeah, and they're they're in their thinking, they're ready to come out and defend Trump right. against yeah. any threats that may come. So if if um if elections if if Trump were to lose an election mm. and he were and he were not to to step down peacefully or, or easily, I would I you could expect that that individuals exercising their Second Amendment rights, quote unquote, would come out into the streets with their firearms in a demonstration of support, at the very least. Mm, mm, mm. That's that's how how many members does the NRA have now? They claim to have five million members. Claim. They claim to have. Mother Jones has done some reporting suggesting that some of those numbers are inflated, but irrespective of how many members they have, Mark, in the past four years, the NRA has gained great legitimacy and great influence in the Republican Party. The NRA spoke in the Cleveland National Convention in 2016 that nominated Trump. An NRA representative spoke, addressed the floor of the convention for the first time in the history of the country of any major party's political convention. And then, with the rise of Trump, the NRA's the NRA's talking points have become ingrained into the center planks of the Republican Party, demonstrated by Trump's comments about the slippery slope in the Oval, Oval Office. So while they only have five million members, let's say, they also have tens of millions of sympathizers and supporters, including, I think, most most voting members of the Republican Party today. Is it still true that purchasing a gun brings with it um, an almost automatic membership to the NRA. It's not an auto automatic membership, but I think many, if not most, gun stores across the country, including gun manufacturers, if you order arms or ammunition online to the degree that that is illegal, will include uh, membership materials for the NRA in the, when they send out the when they send out the weapon or the ammunition. Is it true still that when when guns are sold, the an, gun manufacturers give a little kickback uh, to the NRA for each one? Yeah, there's a few manufacturers that do a roundup. So if the if it's four ninety five, that they can round you can ask to round it up and donate that five cents or that ninety cents uh, to the NRA, and that's actually been a strong source of revenues in recent. Uh, for years, NRA members' dues were the main source of revenue for the organization. But in recent years, actually, private donations are now comprised more than 50% of their revenues. Mm. So the gun industry uh, uh, contributions to the NRA are essential to keep it going. Although a lot of people think, well, yeah, it's all about the gun industry. But that's only half the story because the ideology that the NRA promotes that's now accepted by – most members of the Senate, many politicians and judges across the country, the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, as well as the president, is something that is the other thing that really fuels their movement. 
because without the ideology, I, they wouldn't have the kind of success and the kind of political clout that they've enjoyed now for decades. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you say private donations. So are these private donations from members aside from dues or are these big money people? These are big money people. These are gun industry people. I got you. Part. I got you. I got you. Okay. Um, so, Frank, let's um, um, go down the rabbit hole a little bit. Um, <laughs> they were not always this way. Oh, not at all. And they've gone to great lengths to bury their own past. And the reason they've gone to try so hard to bury their own past is they don't know they don't want anyone to know how much the NRA has changed. Mm-hmm. The NRA claims, for instance, that they are, the NRA is the nation's oldest civil rights organization. This is not the case. The NRA did not raise gun rights at all for its first 50 years, as it was focused on improving marksmanship for soldiers and, and civilians alike in anticipation of future wars, most likely with European powers, as occurred in World War One. The NRA then supported gun control from the 1930s through the 1960s, including the nation's first major gun control act in 1934, outlawing machine guns during the Al Capone era, and and another law in 1968, outlawing interstate mail order sales of guns after one rifle was tied to the assassination of JFK, right? So the NRA, and even then, there's There's a quote in the book where uh, one of the NRA leaders says, we don't take an ostrich attitude toward gun regulation. We know that modern society requires complex and new solutions, and we maintain uh, an open-minded consideration to, to, to do what's best for the country and consider gun control, right? This was a betrayal in the eyes of hardliners in the NRA who then took over the organization. But when they claim that they are the oldest civil rights organization in the nation. That's not true. They didn't become, they didn't embrace gun rights until as it's their unyielding aim until 77. It didn't even raise the issue until the twenties. The national association of the deaf founded in 1880 is the nation's first civil rights organization. And the NAACP founded in 1909 is the second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, there was, a, a, an internal revolution wasn't there after the 60s within the organization. That's right. What's now, what's been known since in their NRA lore is the Cincinnati Revolt. And what you had was after the Gun Control Act of 1968, a group of people, some of whom were in the NRA, and one of them is a man named Harlan B. Carter, who's the NRA, he became the NRA's chief lobbyist before he was fired and then came back and took over. They plot it, and then finally, nine years later, they managed to get over 500 of their supporters to show up at the NRA annual meeting in Cincinnati, right? Because back then, you had the vote for the board was all done in person. And they then orchestrated a scene where they accused their rivals of allegedly making deals with groups like the National Education Association to oppose gun control, then used parliamentary parliamentary procedure to fire the old guard, the old executives, many of whom were big wildlife supporters. The NRA before then was as green as Sierra Club, believe it or not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Every one of these executives was fired. And then they then voted themselves into power, and they have been running the NRA or their 
or their successors have been running the NRA ever since. And this guy, Harlan B. Carter, is interesting because 50 years uh, back in 1931, when he was a minor, he, he shot and killed a fellow minor in a dispute. And he was tried and convicted of murder. Uh, and an Hispanic uh, youth uh, along the along the Texas Mexican border. He then joined the NRA while he was during that period, and then he then uh, got out of jail and had his murder conviction uh, overturned on appeal on self defense grounds. He wow. kept that quiet for fifty years. <laughs> and remember, this this was back in the thirties. By changing his first name from Harlan with two A's to Harlan with the second vowel being an O. And it wasn't until 1981, after he'd been running the NRA for four years, that the New York Times uncovered the fact that he was, in fact, indicted for this murder and it was overturned. But this is part of his record. So he's also somebody that nobody, the NRA doesn't like to talk about the Cincinnati revolt. And they rarely they never really use the term in public. And they also um, don't want to talk about how much they've changed. But Harlan Carter is the only NRA leader of any generation who still has a statue, a bronze bust on a platform about five feet tall inside the National Firearms Museum. Mm. So he is the father of that revolt. They don't like to bring him up because he's too controversial. But Wayne LaPierre, just this past October, after he came under siege from his, from his own board, including the NRA then president, Oliver North, and others for alleged financial impropriety, which seems quite credible, right? At least lavish spending. He then referenced his own ties to Harlan Carter, which was his way of saying, because he joined within a year after the Cincinnati revolt, I was been with the NRA since the Cincinnati revolt, since it became an absolutist gun rights organization. And you see all the results that we've achieved and that, that have been achieved under my tenure, including getting President Trump just this past summer to reverse himself on background checks. Wow. Uh, uh, this is something. Um, the, the change in the NRA also tracks the change in American attitudes. I had read some time ago through other research that from the time uh, law review journals were published up until the 60s, there was never a single one on record that defended the Second Amendment as an individual right. And it was the NRA that kind of changed that attitude. And they started paying scholars at universities to make that argument that it was an individual right. You are absolutely right, Mark. However, the scholars they paid, the one who's received the most money, as, as, uh, as far as I can tell, is a man by David B. Copel. But he, is not, he has no full-time position at any university. He works for a research institute in Colorado, which tends to keep all of its uh, activities uh, secret. And he's an adjunct professor at the University of Denver School of Law as well as at the Cato Institute. But he's one of the people, along with a man named Stephen Holbrook and another man, David Hardy, that have all received NRA funds. And they've been writing law review articles for decades, citing each other, um, uh, you know, building on, building on the same arguments one after the other in order to influence exactly as you said, the notion that there is an individual right to keep and bear arms which was then validated by the Scalia decision in the, in the Heller versus District of Columbia case uh, in 2008. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
what's your, you mentioned the Second Amendment earlier. I, I presume you disagree also with the uh, with the Heller decision. Well, not necessarily, because I've been a gun owner since 1993. So I've had a weapon in my home on, on the based on the notion that I have a right to have that according to the Second Amendment, right? But Heller's decision, Scalia's decision said, this doesn't mean you can't regulate guns, you can't regulate the commerce of guns. What it means is you can never outlaw weapons in the United States. You can never confiscate weapons, even though the NRA claims the weapons are going to be confiscated, it seems, every other day, right? And I, my weapon was originally purchased in New Jersey. And to get the weapon in New Jersey, I had to go to the police station and file a form for a New Jersey firearms ID card. I had to undergo a mental, a mental health background check as well as a criminal background check, and I was fingerprinted. Then to buy the, 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 the Glock, the handgun, I had to go back to the police station, complete a different process to, in order to apply for a handgun permit, which was good for 90 days, get another mental health check, get another uh, criminal background check, and get fingerprinted again in order to get that weapon. And as I say in the book, and I've, and I've told others, for me, this is a reasonable requirement that does not impede on my Second Amendment rights. And so far, the NRA, nobody's challenged this in states like New Jersey or Massachusetts that have such strict regulations in order to be able to obtain a weapon or to, to purchase a weapon. And I think that shows you that the problem is, is not that uh, – the problem is that these states are, the, are some of the only states that actually have that level of regulation, where if I'm unscrupulous and I want to traffic arms, I can drive to West Virginia, pay somebody – $50,000 to purchase for me $25,000 worth of weapons, drive to any major city along the eastern seaboard, and then distribute, the, distribute those weapons to purchasers, including, of course, all of them would be uh, uh, criminals, right, including mm -hmm. the actual transfer. That happens all the time. So the controls that New Jersey has work to some degree for New Jersey, but unless you have a national system of gun control, you're always going to have uh, access to guns. And the thing is, what's missing in the debate here is that every other advanced nation on earth, Canada, Western Europe, Japan, uh, other nations, all have gun control based on the registration of firearms to the, to the degree that they permit uh, civilian access to firearms at all. And in none of these nations have, has this gun control led to some kind of tyrannical takeover. Although the NRA will claim that the Holocaust is an example, and that simply is is uh, not is this not the case, right? And so we have, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a nuanced argument. But the problem is the NRA has made it an all or nothing argument, and they've really succeeded in turning the debate in their favor, and uh, over the past forty three years. So uh, you would agree? You would agree with the decision? insofar as there's an individual right to keep and bear arms as long as it's regulated. That, that's as long, right. as long as it's regulated. And the regulation that New Jersey has seems fitting to me. Okay. It's never, you know, uh, yeah, as long as it's regulated. But that's, you know, mo any, most people in the NRA, and I'm also an NRA member. I've joined in recent years for research, but also right. to enjoy the benefits of membership. Most people in the NRA, when I meet people in the NRA, say, oh, 
you're from New Jersey. That's terrible what you had to go through. And I always say, ah, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. I'm comfortable with it, you know. So so what about the part, let me ask you, Frank, what about the part where it says a well-regulated militia? How do you reconcile that with an individual right? I don't think I don't I don't think you can. I think I think as Michael Waldman, a scholar uh, here in uh, in New York City, has has made it clear, and others have made clear. I don't think you can. If you look if you look at the actual debate that occurred in Congress back before the Bill of Rights and the Second Amendment was passed, they were talking about individuals having weapons as part of a militia. But back then there was no separation between an individual having a weapon and having an individual being in the militia. So I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's tricky. The, the other, the other thing to keep in mind is that's one of the only amendments in the bill of rights that has the, the word or the root of the word regulate the regulation. in it. So the notion is, uh, you know, people can interpret it different ways. I think Scalia's uh, decision in that case was completely uh, was completely drawn largely from his own ideology as opposed mm-hmm. to originalism, right? I yeah. don't think that holds up. And I wouldn't. And I'm. And I don't. My feeling in terms of of the Second Amendment is not is not because I think Scalia's decision was correct uh, in the way it was argued. But the United States has a tradition of gun ownership, and at this point, it's all moot because the decision has been made. We're going to have to live with uh, the Heller decision and the and the Chicago decision, uh, McDonald versus Chicago. That was two years later, which extended that ruling throughout the nation, whether we like it or not. Uh, since you brought up the debate um, leading up to um, the Second Amendment and the Bill of Rights. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with any of the work of Professor Carl Bogus, but yes. yeah. So, what is your reaction to his argument that, in fact, um, what was the debate was really about was a militia being armed to protect itself from slave insurrections? Oh, I think I think there's there's. I think there's definitely evidence of that. I think that certainly was part of what they were talking about, but I don't think that's all of what they were talking about. Right. And I'm not an expert necessarily on, on that, on that period and those, and those constitutional issues. But clearly uh, I don't think, I I don't think it's true to say that the second amendment was, was concocted in order, in order to control slaves and the slave patrols really picked up in intensity in later years. Uh, from when this, from when the Bill of Rights was passed, uh, so I think that I think he's I think he's correct to a point. Um, but the other thing is, the NRA claims that the early NRA supported free slaves during in, during Reconstruction and helped arm them to secure their Second Amendment rights. Mm. And this is absolutely not true, mm. right? A man named Alan West, an African-American NRA director and former congressman from Florida, made this at the the inauguration of the Roy Innes Memorial Award. Mr. Innes, who's the, uh, formerly the executive director of the Congress of Racial Equality. Right. This was just last year in Indianapolis. And this claim that the the early NRA helped arm freed slaves is not true. I debunk it in the book, and I don't. And I debunk it by quoting material from the Reconstruction period, including articles that were edited by or published by a journal, and also a book, all written or edited by 
one of the NRA's two original co-founders, a man named William Cohn at church, he wrote an 800-page book on Ulysses S. Grant, The Civil War and Reconstruction, in which he documented the challenges faced by freed slaves. He documented the violence they were subjugated to by the Ku Klux Klan and other groups, as well as many other facets of that period. And there's nothing in there about the NRA or any group coming to the aid of freed slaves trying to arm them. It's completely <laughs> untrue. Right, right. Um... Yeah, not not true at, at at all. So, do we know their rate of success? I mean, we know the Democrats had a, had a wave in twenty eighteen. Do we know their rate of success lately in terms of NRA backed candidates? Well, they've been you know they've been doing well for a long time. They've been challenged now. The Newtown, the Sandy Hook shooting in late two thousand and twelve certainly was a jolt to the country, but they withstood that. And they're very proud of the fact that no federal gun control was passed after that shooting. And LaPierre has written about that in his own columns uh, in the American Rifleman and others. Um, and then the Parkland, uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting in Parkland, F uh, Florida on Valentine's Day in 2018 gave them another, an even greater, an either greater challenge, which I think still exists. But the measure of their success, Mark, is the fact that President Trump is the most pro-NRA president, even though they didn't trust him at first uh, at all. But he's become the most pro-NRA president ever to sit in the White House. You have the Senate that's still controlled by Republicans who are adamantly opposed to gun control, in addition to having concealed carry permits, the ability to carry a concealed weapon having been now being legal in most states across the nation, which is something that really the NRA engineered through its lobbying over the past 20 years. Yeah. And um, so they are, they remain, I think, the most powerful civic organization in the nation. And, and again, if they're an organization that has a lot to hide because they're building on the traditions of riflery and the traditions of sportsmanship and the traditions of gun safety that they are very good at and have always been good at as an organization, right, in terms of the handling of weapons. They build on that, but they don't want anybody to know that the whole, the whole, the whole approach underwent a shift, as one of their presidents said in Moscow in 2013, perhaps not realizing that his words would end up on YouTube so everyone could see them. And, uh, and they, they don't want anybody to know how much they've changed. They want to claim that the NRA was always a gun rights group, and that's not the case. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is there anything that the American public could do to try to uh, temper their influence? I mean, I know people are organizing, doing all they can. We keep raising the issues. But you're right, they continue to be successful. We made some inroads. But what can people do to really put a dent in their influence? Vote. Organize and vote. The strength mm -hmm. in the NRA is their ability to mobilize people at the polls. Gun owners are among the most active citizens in the entire country. And there's one uh, pro-gun blogger who's also critical of the organization he runs something called the PA Gun Blog in Pennsylvania, and goes by the name Sebastian. He's, he's, he's noted very astutely that 
What the gun movement has, what the NRA has is grassroots support, real grassroots support. I would challenge you to find any other organization of any size in this country whose members are politically active, following legislation, making phone calls, writing letters, sending emails to politicians, their representatives on different levels as much as as much as the NRA is. That's their that's their strength. Whereas the gun reform movement or the gun control movement is something that Sebastian calls astroturf, meaning people like Michael Bloomberg can buy millions of dollars of it and lay it down and it looks pretty, but it will never take root and grow. And yeah. so the NRA is they're 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 civic activists. First and foremost, they're not they're they're threatening always to work outside the system and be armed and and resort to a non-democratic or to a, to an armed response to political discourse. But for now, for the past 43 years, they have and actually much longer because they've been the NRA has been engaged in the political process, I think, since the beginning, since 149 years that um, that, you know, that they that they that they that they're active and they are motivated and they get people to the polls more effectively than anybody else. So if you want to defeat them, you've got to organize and vote like them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you, lastly, you, you did mention Moscow. Um, yes, there was there was a little footsie played um, <laughs> in 2016, if not before. I don't know whether it's ongoing. What are your yeah, yeah. thoughts about that? Well, it started off, you know, and I spent some time in Moscow and I've also uh, in, in, in looked at the situation for journalists in Moscow and other or in Russia and other nations. And what it you know, the NRA has been alone in the world for for 40, almost for, well, for decades. They haven't had they've never been able to find a like minded group in other nations. Hmm. The National Rifle Association of this country took their very name and their all their original ideas they borrowed verbatim from the National Rifle Association of the United Kingdom. And they don't like to bring it up much, but when they do bring it up, they point out that the NRA in, in the United Kingdom supports gun control. How terrible, how shocking. There's an NRA in India that is also uh, very similar and, 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 and organizes shooting competitions but still supports gun control. So then in around 2010, the NRA discovers or a group reaches out from Russia claiming to have the same ideology, the same zeal for gun rights that the NRA in this country has. And what the NRA failed to do was to do any due diligence to just Google human rights in, uh, in Russia or read any, any human rights reports or any reports about the political situation in the country to realize – there are no independent civic organizations in Russia that aren't harassed and um, if or, or, or had their members uh, murdered uh, and, and, uh, that, that are critical or that are independent of Putin. So they presume they had a real organization. And really, as others have said, it just, was just a front group set up by Putin loyalists mm -hmm. in order to infiltrate the conservative movement in the United States, including the Christian movement. Mm -hmm. uh, Bettina managed to get into the, the right. prayer breakfast, which right. is a big deal. And then she also managed to reach out to the NRA and they were, they didn't realize they were being set up. I think. I think, wow. So, so, so are you saying they realize it now? I, I'm not even sure. I think they get it now because she was convicted of espionage. It'd be hard for them not to realize it. 
they're now they don't want to talk about their uh, you know their ties with the right to bear arms RBA as it was called. I think they realize it now, but it took them years to figure that out. And in 2013, the Russian group invited the NRA. Why don't you come to our meeting in Moscow and give a speech? And David Keene, who's been a longtime conservative political figure for many years, he went and he gave this speech. And I don't think he realized because he said things in that speech that NRA members here have never said so plainly out loud in public, which is for a hundred years, we were an organization that was focused on shooting, organizing competitions and the like. Mm-hmm. And then we had a, sh- but then when our, when we felt our rights were threatened here in the United States, we had a shift and began defending mm-hmm. those rights. Mm-hmm. I, he, I don't think he, I don't know if he realized he was being filmed or if he ever thought that that video would ever be seen by Americans. But Mother Jones discovered right. that it was up on YouTube and they translated it, uh, which is how I found it. And that, that you know, the whole, my entire book is framed based on his remarks. Yeah. Part one, the first hundred years where they were into shooting competitions, you have the shift when they became radicalized and, and what they did. And then you have the focus. We shifted our focus. Then they have the focus, which has been on gun rights ever since. Is he still alive? Which one? K- uh, King? Yeah. Yes, he is. Oh, yes. Very much so. Okay. Uh, I, I, w- I was being a little tongue-in-cheek. I didn't know if somebody made a move on him for saying what he said, you know? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. They, you know Since he wasn't all, supposed to say that. There's no daylight in anyone on the NRA board in terms of gun rights. Absolutely none whatsoever. And, you know, I don't I just there, you know, the book has 650 endnotes, most of which are to NRA documents, NRA magazines like the American Rifleman. Yeah. There are, I think, five anonymous sources in the whole book. That doesn't mean that I don't talk to people. I talk to a lot of people, but I don't quote people. Right. I got you. The NRA is not, a, you know, I've covered foreign intelligence services and military organizations involved in great abuses. I have never encountered an an institution, an organization as secretive as the NRA. Mm. And I'm talking, you know, military forces that commit great abuses. This is the most secretive organization out there. So the way I did this book was going through their own magazines over a century's worth and other materials over a century and a half. So everything that I put in the book is on the record according to them. Yeah. yeah. Right? This is their story according according to their records that they don't want anybody to know. Wow. And what a book it is. What a story this is, folks. We invite you to check out the NRA, the Unauthorized History. And uh, I heard the uh, motivational speech in Frank's voice. We have to organize and vote. If this is something we don't want and we don't like, and many of us clearly don't, many of you who are my listeners and my listeners to MIP, we've got to organize and vote. Uh, we, we know what this is 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 really all about just one more thing lastly is sure. the spike in gun sales during this virus is the movement to keep gun shops on open as essential um you know a, a lot of times they make a lot of noise but that's it do do you foresee any real problems with either of those initiatives and them even contributing to any potential unrest as, as the months go by. I, 
I think that uh, this is they're putting up they're making a political marker that that okay. individuals need to have access to to weapons and, and ammunition. I don't you know I don't expect any them to do anything. They want to win uh, in November if the right. elections are held on schedule. That's their main goal, and they're not they're not the kind of people to go out and create civil unrest. But like I said, if Trump were to lose an election and if Trump were to resist leaving office, that's when you would see. Uh, an element of the gun movement come out into the streets, which would not be the NRA. The NRA might support their right to come out, but these would be elements within the gun movement that are allied with the NRA, but but acting on their own, including many white power groups, like what we saw in Charlottesville uh, back in 2017. Why, so, why wouldn't we see the NRA? Why wouldn't they do it too? Oh, they're not they're not the kind of people that march in the streets. They're the kind of people that put on suits and and meet with members of Congress. So that's the, that's that's the way they would operate. Yeah, there might yeah. be people out there who say I'm an NRA member and I'm an IR-15, but the NRA doesn't organize uh, protests like that, things like that. They're they're much more sort of um, they're much more corporate, really, in their in their entire operation. Yeah, yeah, I got you. All right, the NRA, the Unauthorized History by Frank Smythe. Frank, uh, thank you, man. This is this has been a great conversation. Thank you for all of the history and enlightenment. We've, we've learned a lot, okay? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me on. And, and please uh, uh, continue prayers for you and your loved ones that you all will stay safe, safe and protected, all right? Likewise. Thank you, buddy. Take care now. All right, bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.